This is Queen Victoria. Welcome to the Murder Lab, where I dissect serial killers and analyze what I find. Today we have an episode with Igor, where we're going to go over CrimeCon. We went to CrimeCon 2021. That's right. Directly from CrimeCon.com. From the latest cases to the latest scientific techniques. From the newest TV shows and docs to the best podcasts in the world. And from deep dives into topics you didn't even know existed to big ballroom sessions with personalities you watch every week, CrimeCon is a platform that delivers it all. Our events are equal parts education and experience. We work hard to curate a wide-ranging program that has something for everyone and that combines hands-on learning with plenty of chances to have fun meeting speakers, podcasters, and other fans. Despite that, Hardly a day goes by that our team doesn't think about the fact that the things we cover often involve the worst day of someone's life. Respect for victims, families, and law enforcement is always at the forefront of everything we do. We've been humbled by the reaction to CrimeCon so far. We hope to bring our events to more cities so that even more fans of this dynamic genre will have a chance to experience all that true crime has to offer. So that's a little bit about CrimeCon from CrimeCon. presented by Oxygen. That's trying to be the new ID network. So it was at in Austin, Texas. We stared at the we stared at it. <laughs> we did stare at we it. Did stare especially the elevators. Bit. Yeah. We stayed at the Fairmont, Austin. The interesting part is that the mask mask restrictions were lifted right when we went on the trip, but it wasn't lifted on the airport, in the airport and on the flight. So we still had to wear a mask in the airport and on the flights. But when we got to the conference, we could walk around without masks if we so chose to do. So that was kind of a little different to have a moment where we can be around people. And we did wear our, our masks some, but they were still good at having chairs set up. So Igor and I could sit next to each other and maybe not other people. So they were good about giving you options. Yeah, they gave you the option if you wanted a green sticker, that you could put it on there. And it meant that you were fine with sitting in a group of people. But the way they had it, it was perfect for two people to kind of sit together if, you know... And we just usually did that. Not that I was real worried about it, obviously, being at a big crime con, but it was good. Yeah, it was nice that we still had some kind of feeling of security mm-hmm. um, and comfort with with that. And, of course, um, I made some Murder Lab masks, so we wore our Murder Lab masks around. We took two flights, so we went from Columbus to Florida and then to Austin, I was pretty excited because our second flight was flight 2112, which if you're a Rush fan, then you will understand why that was exciting for me. So I was excited about that. We got to the hotel and (laughs) it was um, great until we tried to use the elevators. And then uh, it was a bit of a challenge. (laughs) Yeah, we'd never been at a hotel. I haven't traveled in quite a while. And these had two different banks, wouldn't you say, explain it, of of, uh, elevators, where one had like the uh odd the other had the even and we kept getting in the wrong one <laughs> so, <laughs> so like I our floor like... number yeah our floor number wasn't in there so we got on the elevator we thought it was the only section of elevators and we're like there's no floor 21 but they definitely are my key card says 2158 so what is going on and we we were tired from our flight and everything <laughs> and finally we were running around like crazy getting upset and finally some kind soul was like um you know there's a second bank of elevators and <laughs> yeah I was finally like look look dude we've been here for 10 minutes walking around we can't what's up oh you're just in the wrong elevator it's like oh that's a thing okay <laughs> we thought we're in like some hell portal 
Yeah, it was uh, it was another interesting part of the day. But then after that, we went and had dinner at the Fulton, which mm-hmm. is there in the hotel. Really good food. It was pricey, but it was really super yummy. The only th- other thing is that we hadn't eaten all day. So we haven't flown in forever. I haven't flown in like 15 years. And Igor, it's been what, like six or seven for you? Um, something like that. Five, six. Five, yeah. yeah. It's been a little while. So we weren't sure how that all worked out. So we ate breakfast. But we didn't think about how to work the rest of it. And of course, our layover, we didn't have time to grab food. And we went right past food because we didn't, not traveling <laughs> together before, just just the two of us. We didn't have a plan. We have a plan now. One of yeah. us checks the gate. One of us checks for food. Yeah, because we didn't think about checking the gate to see if our flight had been, gate has been moved. And, and of course, it, it did. And then <laughs> as we're walking to the new gate on the way and they're boarding, we see a little snack place. And we, so if we would have known, yeah, if we would have known, we would have had time to grab some food. And I poked myself in the eye with my boarding pass. So that was, that was an adventure. Yeah. We won't talk about how, how I almost passed out on the first flight from the pressure on my ears. So it was, it was a long day. It, I mean, it was still good. It could have been a lot worse. So we were still happy that, you know, it went as smoothly as it did. But we felt like the universe was against us. A little bit. Because the ho- <laughs> then we couldn't find our fucking room. <laughs> it's like, how do you work an elevator these days? Where's a millennial? And then the other thing is what we were so hungry by the time we ate dinner that the food they gave us while delicious was not going to be enough for me. So we wound up having a Hobbit second dinner at this barbecue place right across from our hotel called Ironworks. And that became our favorite go-to for food because it was good prices and it tasted really good. I was particularly excited because when I looked at the beer selection, there was this uh, light shining from the heavens onto Lone Star beer. And it was coming it, from the Willie Nelson picture. It's That crazy. was hanging there right on it. <laughs> and if you're a fan of Joe Bob Briggs, then you know why I got excited to see Lone Star beer. So that was my place to go to when I wanted a Lone Star beer and some barbecue. We went to Ironworks and they had phenomenal macaroni and cheese. They had this sweet cream corn I had never had before that was amazing. So that was uh, that was our go-to. Don't so we forget were... the banana pudding. Ooh, yeah, they had some banana pudding. Kathy, banana uh, pudding. Yeah, Iger was upset because they were advertising they were out of it. So thankfully it worked out on Assholes. the last day. It that... does, yeah. I, I, all those visits, like four times we ate there. <laughs> Only once did I get the nana, nana pudding. So yeah, I was happy. We, uh, we've been doing daily shout outs, so I will do a shout out to Ironworks at some point soon. So pay attention to our Facebook page. Uh, so basically, we got there on Thursday night. The convention starts started on Friday. Now, it seems like they they try to give people in the morning some time in case they couldn't come in till that day because it didn't start till noon. So it's kind of nice. We were able to sleep in and we allowed ourselves room service breakfast. Yes. Nice. And we're um, Eggs Benedict gals, so we got that. Oh, and we forgot about the uh, the robes. Oh, that's right. There, we, there, there was nice a robes. modeling session with the robes. A lot of Facebook <laughs> pictures with the robes. We felt like queens. Well, she always feels like one. But I, true. you know, being out of the lab, you know, the dungeon, it was very exciting. It was a very nice room. And then we were wearing our robes, eating our room service. The Hollandaise was delightful and they gave us little baby ketchup bottles love it i'm a fan so it was yes it was very nice and uh, they had this little clicker thing that you just clicked and then put your tray out in the hall and they knew to come get it yeah you you didn't just set it out like a chump you could push a button then set it out like a chump so they knew it was there it was pretty fancy we had enough time in the morning to go to see the museum of the weird 
fan. Loved it. The section of town it's in isn't the best, mm. but it was fine. It was okay. I don't know um, if that's considered old Austin or just Austin, but there's a reason yeah. they try to keep it weird. Yeah. It was, if you live in, in Dayton, it's like Third Street. So, but we were there at like 10 in the morning. So it wasn't as, you know, shady, but still we kept our head on a swivel. The, basically you go into the gift shop, you buy your ticket and the gift shop woman was amazing and wonderful and fun. Then you, you do a self-guided tour and the first section is kind of like your freak show and just a bunch of different stuff. I was surprised they actually even had movie props like gremlins and stuff. Then you could go and see the man on ice. That was hilarious. Yeah, that one was uh, where they actually show the Unsolved Mysteries like video about the man on ice and then you can actually look at him. And and then there's a second floor where it's more like um, freak show type stuff where they talk about um, conjoined twins and they have the Fuji, Fuji, Fiji mermaid. And they have like a two-headed chicken, which, you know, yes. they could have totally like stuffed that from an actual two-headed chicken or just made it. We don't care. It's we fun. were interested. Yeah, it was still fun. Then the third section was the best it was the wax museum mm -hmm. and let me tell you they did a good job on the figures you could still tell that they were wax figures they weren't real but the atmosphere in there completely it is totally freaky like to the point where I turned a corner and I would jump <laughs> because that there'd be a figure there that I didn't expect and it was and kind so of was small they yeah. fit it and they had they had so much in a small space so every time you turned around like i kept i kept overlooking things v would have to tell me oh what about that look at that it was and it was kind of the lighting it just i was i was completely convinced that quasimodo was gonna move and i would have shat and ran at the same time <laughs> yeah they had quite a few of, i love long cheney senior and they had quite a few because you know he did a bunch of the classic horror stuff so they had a bunch of his stuff and then they had boris karloff as frankenstein the only thing we were let down is they didn't have any peter cushing because yeah. you know how much we love pd cush yeah so. they had um christopher lee as frankenstein and with a. Uh, uh, Vincent Price's Fibes, yeah. Dr. Fibes or whatever. And, but they didn't have him with Cushing. I was like, come on, yeah. what a jip. But they did have a little tribute wall to Vincent Price. Yeah, they did. So, I mean, I guess I'll give him a pass. Yeah. And it was, it was really well done. Like I said, it was super creepy. It looked like the Wolfman was going to jump down off the wall and tackle me. So it was, uh, that was definitely the best part. We definitely recommend Museum of the Weird in Austin. It's only like 12 bucks to get in and the gift shop is awesome. They have a whole bunch of different things. So it's not just like weird shit. It's also like you can get regular Austin, you know, touristy t-shirts. They had a comic book section. I kind of wish they would have had weirder comics. It was mostly like your run of the mill X-Men type thing. But I did find a few that seemed like local comics. So I got a couple of those. Museum of the Weird had their own comic. I got the last one. They had really cool things and it was hard to limit how much we bought because we had one suitcase to take home. <laughs> yes, we shared one. So I was very limited on shoes, but I have an issue with that. So it's okay. Yeah. So next time we'll probably do separate suitcases and maybe bring an extra one just for uh, touristy stuff. Yeah. So we had a good time at the Museum of the Weird. We were able to make it back in time for the opening. Now, apparently they normally have a big opening ceremony in a ballroom where everybody gets together. But obviously we're still trying to get through these um, last stages of COVID and things. So what they did is they had us go to whatever session we wanted to go to and they played a video. And uh, who was in that video that you love? John Minkovitz. Yes. So he did uh, an intro to CrimeCon and, and it was a lot of fun. Our first session 
was True Crime Binge featuring True Crime Garage, where Bob Ruff interviewed the captain and Nick. So we were super excited. And the, the idea is, I can't think of the name of Bob Ruff's regular podcast. It's like Truth True Crime and- Bin. I think it's True Crime Binge. No, he said that he, he actually has another one that's like Truth and Something. But when COVID hit, he couldn't go do his investigating and stuff. So he did True Crime Binge, where he starts interviewing other podcasts to try to get people aware. And the idea is is to talk to the person and let you get to know the person. Because when you listen to a podcast, you don't always get to know personal things about the person. Bob's idea is to just talk to them like people so you can get to know the, how they are as people. It's Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice. Thank you. Yeah, so his normal podcast was Truth and Justice, and then now he also has True Crime Binge, and he did say he's going to keep it up even when things get back to normal. That's what I heard. Yay. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And the captain, if you guys are familiar with True Crime Garage at all, you know the captain is is goofy and fun, and he calls people douche canoes, and but he does come up with really good points in his defense. So I guess some people don't like him because they feel he's too goofy, but... He did divulge that he had some yeah. mental health issues and it was really interesting and really enlightening to hear about his struggle with being given the wrong medication. Very brave of him to talk about that because it's very personal. And if I would have had a chance to go and meet them on podcast row, I was going to tell him that, that, you know, for people and, and family members that struggle with that, it was very heartening and, and, and touching to have him talk about that because it's difficult, but it was definitely the place that a safe space for him to do that. Right. And, and it was totally organic. It wasn't like all of a sudden he's just like, let me tell you about the time, you know, it was, it was all very organic and it was really interesting to see them kind of in their natural habitat. I don't know, but you know, just to be able to hang back and be real and well, they were drinking. That's true. So that is is kind of their natural habitat, habitat. but they are local boys too, Columbus. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've, uh, yeah, they're just, it's a really great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. I, if you go to murderlabmedia.com, I do have them under other labs. So you can always click on there and find the link to their stuff. Next up, we went to Investigating Tiger Girl and the Candy Kid, Bringing Historical True Crime to Life by writer Glenn Stout. So this is one where we didn't know anything about it. But as soon as we saw the, looked at the description and saw the wor- words uh, like 1920s jewel heist, mm-hmm. we were like, okay. And yes, please. Yes. So we were definitely like, okay, we're going to go see what this is about. So we had no idea what to expect, had never heard of any of this before. And right off the bat, Glenn Stout was like, hey, if you see me around, just talk to me. Like, I'm totally cool. I want to talk. So he, he, you know, he was very personable and he basically went through how to write a true crime book. So he told you like how to flesh out characters and there was a lot of good information about research Mm -hmm. and obviously being podcasters that are doing a research driven podcast, it was really exciting and interesting for us. So there were some things I knew, some things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then it was just, I had, since we had never heard of this case, it was especially interesting to hear how he fleshed it out and just to hear about the case. So he had a good balance of, of telling us about the writing stuff, but then also telling us about the case. And then he doesn't give away the end. So, and, I mean, we bought the book, but also what I liked is that overall CrimeCon had those very serious topics like about Libby Caswell. Then they had something like this where it's a true crime case, but it's not necessarily about murder. And you know what I mean? It's in the, I guess the lack of a better term, a lighter 
kind of right. a session. So I liked that they had that because by Saturday night, I was drained. You know what I yeah. mean? From all that. Yeah. And that's one thing that we'll talk about as we we go through the sessions we were at is that there is a mix of really hard things to hear. And then there's some where it's more cerebral and interesting. So you don't have that emotional aspect. So that was really cool. We'll talk more about how we talked to Glenn Stout here in a little bit. So the next one we went to, speaking of Libby Caswell and things that are really heavy, mm. um, we went to Suicide or Murder, What Really Happened to Libby Caswell in Room 319. Igor, did you know about Libby Caswell before? No, I did not. I don't remember hearing that. So, and and I was really, that was obviously the first real deep dive into Crime Con. I would say they they showed autopsy photos and I didn't know if I was going to be able to deal with that, but you kind of separate yourself and you know that the mom's there mm. and you're trying to help, but also it was interesting. Sci you know what I mean? You try to look at the science part of it, the understanding. I was able to kind of get over that but if it was more yeah and, like gory and just just to let everyone know Libby Caswell on December 11th 2017 21 year old single mother was found dead in a bathroom at a hotel in Independence Missouri it was ruled a suicide but her mom knew better the mom Cynthia Caswell spoke to Dr. Bill Smock who's a police surgeon for Louisville Metro Police Department and he directs the clinical forensic medicine program for that department. She reached out to him and was like things are not adding up. There's no way that my daughter committed suicide. She has a baby son. There's no way. And her boyfriend at the time had known to be a little choky. So the fact a that they just choky. <laughs> they ruled it out and they just didn't never treated it like a murder. When you look at the pictures you start seeing right off the bat, well, what's that blood smudge on the door? Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, just looking at a picture, I don't, I'm not a forensic guy. And I just looked at a picture and was like, hey, what's that? <laughs> you know, supposedly she hanged herself. And so he actually had a mannequin head and a replica of the belt. And he showed you how the bruising and stuff doesn't add up to how it would be, how she could have killed herself. And so he goes through and the autopsy photos, it's when I first heard autopsy photos, I imagine they actually had like opened her yes. and that was like, oh, and not that it still made it easy, but it's definitely easier to see skin bruising than internal parts. It was, I think that also helped to pull, pull me back is that I wasn't seeing like blood mm -hmm. and guts and it, it helped when you were looking at the bruising, you could be cerebral about it. And you can say, okay, yeah, that doesn't add up. So yeah, to Igor's point, it helped that it wasn't like gruesome. But what really made you feel is the mom sitting right there and mm. the mom knows the killer is loose. And so they have all this proof. I mean, they went through a whole bunch of stuff. And when Dr. Smock showed that police department, he assumed they'd be like, well, yeah, we need to open this up. And they're like, no, no, this is, this is gonna stay closed. Yeah, we don't, we don't feel, I think the prosecutor was the prosecutor in that case, didn't feel that they had enough. Yeah. And, and if you think about it from their side is since they looked over a bunch of stuff, it's going to make them look stupid. So they don't want to actively look stupid, you mm -hmm. know, and even though it will help you so solve a murder, that should be a priority. So the big overwhelming um, theme or um, action point they wanted to take away is to ask everybody to write to the attorney general and ask for the case to be reopened. Mm -hmm. So apparently they went down every avenue they could. This is the avenue that they think they might have hope with. I posted today on uh, the Murder Lab Facebook, and I'll also put a link on the site so you can go and find the address and write to the attorney general and ask them to reopen the case. So that way, hopefully her killer can be caught and 
you know, brought to justice. Yes. And maybe her mom can find some kind of peace. So after that heavy part, we went to another heavy session (laughs) because I saw that they had what hell is like the untold story of the toolbox killers. And the toolbox killers, that's one of those cases where I do have a lot of problem reading about it because, I mean, if you know anything about it, it's a lot. Like they took ice picks and stuck them in the Mm. women's ears and they raped them and it's a lot. I hadn't heard about that before. So I was interested in in learning, you know, more about it too. Yeah. And I had warned her like, it it might get heavy. And if we need to, we can leave the room (laughs) because I didn't know what, how in detail they were going to get. Now the the woman speaking was Laura Brand, known as the Siren of San Quentin. She's a private investigator, a forensic psychology practitioner, and the CEO of Siren Production. She has interviewed over 50 serial killers, and she's doing a study, which will be coming out in a book soon. She interviewed Bitaker Doris, the Toolbox Killers, for five years, and she has an upcoming Oxygen special about it. And I'll read to you the description of this session in this must-see CrimeCon exclusive. Brand will break down her interviewing techniques and reveal how she conducted a thorough cold case investigation. Dr. Marie Godwin will join her to deliver a profile of the unknown victims based on the geography of the San Gabriel Mountains, the place where the toolbox killers brought their victims. Now, Dr. Godwin is a PhD who specializes in investigative psychology, crime scene analysis, missing persons, and geographic profiling of abductors and serial murderers. So this is how it was presented. We'll have Laura Brand and Dr. Godwin, and they both got up and said hi. Well, then Laura started to talk about her, go through her presentation, speaking at a faster rate than I thought was humanly possible. So, (laughs) and we talk fast. They were supposed to go through those two speakers in less than an hour. So I kind of got it, but we, I used to be teased about being the micro machine, you know, micro machines, micro machines person when I was in uh, high school. So, I mean, if that got to us, then, you know, but I get it. Yeah. So she was, she had a lot that she was trying to get through. So before you know it, it's almost time for the session to be up. And so she's like, oh, uh, I still have more of my presentation, but I'll just wrap it up real fast so he can talk. So I'm looking at the clock and it's literally like time for it to stop. And there's about 20 minutes in between sessions. So there's someone else who's going to be coming up. Well, he gets up and starts talking. And I'm like, well, I'm interested in what he has to say because it's really interesting. But he gets like maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds into it. Mm-hmm. And music starts playing. Like he got the cane. The, you know, the <laughs> they pulled him off with the hook. hook. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the hook. They brought the, they got the hook. And so she stands up. And she's like, hey, here's a preview for my show. Because this was also like kind of a commercial for her upcoming Oxygen show. So then they show the preview of the show and the poor guy just goes and sits down. Yeah, and I mean, we understood because I mean, Oxygen, they're presenting it. They paid for all that. And they're doing, you know, they're in um, with her to get make sure that that gets out to be seen. Uh, we just kind of felt bad for uh, Dr. Godwin because he, poor guy he was like i kept sitting i kept looking over at him sitting there like okay is when's he part of this you know what i mean what's this <laughs> what this dude gonna talk yeah so we felt kind of bad for him and we're not sure what happened there um which i mean sometimes things don't go perfectly when you have an event so um so i don't know hopefully he'll be on the special when it comes out and i do i will be posting some information about him so i know i'll be looking up some more things because i would actually like to know what he was gonna say i'll post some things in case uh you want to check it out too 
Well, that was pretty much the last session we went to of the day, which was pretty much all we could handle at that point. And now there are several sessions happening at the same time, and you can choose which one you go to. Some of the ones that we did not go to are How We Helped Find Rebecca Gold's Killer, A 16-Year Journey to Justice, Entering the Dark on the Trail of Serial Killers with John White, Don't Fuck with Cats, Behind the Search for an Internet Killer, The Safety Trap with Spencer Corson, True Crime Binge with the hosts of Crime Weekly, The Austin Serial Bomber, 19 Days of Terror, Justice Through Genomics, Closure for Families by Solving Unsolvable Cold Cases, Ethics in True Crime with Sarah Turney, Rat Snakes Inside the Explosive World of ATF's Undercover Agents, True Crime Trivia with Yellow Tape. And uh, Igor, would you like to read who all had meet and greet sessions? Why, of course. John White, Don't Fuck With Cats. The Spencer Corson, Glenn Stout, Josh Mankiewicz, Dr. Bill hmm. Smock, Sarah Turney, Laura Brand, and Dr. Godwin, hopefully he was able to speak, Vincent <laughs> Acefalo. Yeah, so there were sessions where you could actually go and meet and greet with them. So it was an open thing you could go and talk to. Now, they did also have some VIP sessions. So you can pay more as a VIP, and you have more access where you can have like one-on-ones more with people than the regular folks. But tons more, but yeah, I, I was overwhelmed enough. Yeah, so. and I think they even like had it so you can have dinner. Like there was a dinner thing where yes. you could get a dinner if with you wanted to pay like thirteen hundred bucks or some yeah. shit. <laughs> and they also had virtual only sessions because again, COVID had capacity issues. So they mm -hmm. did virtual only. So that way it kind of opened things up so people didn't have to go there physically. So there were some sessions where you could log on virtually. So that was a nice, a nice thing for people. And they, although in the intro, they said, make everybody in the virtual sessions feel bad because they should want to come, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. Now V on the Rebecca Gold's killer. I thought we went to that one because I didn't yeah. remember that there was a recent development or maybe I went to it or something or listened to a podcast, but you must listen to a podcast. We didn't go to that one. Okay. Rebecca Gould. <laughs> I didn't remember that there was a recent development and oh. there was an arrest. I was looking online an article just from April of this hmm. year saying that there was a confession from a William Alma Miller. I want to make fun of his name, but don't remember anything but the Alma because he's an asshole. But he asked her to use the phone. He did the old park and the hiding it, knocked on her door, said, hey, can I use your phone? Well, God love her. She went back to her bedroom to go back mm. to bed when this guy was there and mm. he ended up beating her with the piano leg. Oh, my God. And the trial is at the end of August. So I knew I had oh. heard about it, but maybe... I had listened to a podcast or something, but yeah, but I didn't remember that aspect of it. That evening, we were going to go on a murder walk to learn more about the servant girl annihilator, but we needed to have a little bit to eat. So we went to Review, which is another restaurant within the hotel. We had a Caesar salad and a delightful appetizer and a little bit of a drink before we went. So that was a lovely little um, excursion. And then we, we went- some good sangria there, let me tell you. That's true. So we went on the Austin murder walk about the servant girl annihilator. And basically what it is, is if you haven't been on one, you meet a group of people. And again, they try to keep the group small with COVID. Plus it's, it's easier when you have one dude just yelling the information <laughs> to have a smaller group. You meet and then he takes you through different sections of the city where murders occurred. Now, as you can imagine, 
it's difficult to do it in a linear or chronological fashion because you may wind up backtracking and moving in a weird way around the city. Mm-hmm. So he had to do it like, okay, so here is the first murder and here's the last murder because they happen near each other. So it's not as chronological, but I think he did a good job at keeping things in line and helping you keep track of where you were at in the timeline. The only problem is that like he didn't really wait for everyone to come up to him before he started talking. Sometimes you didn't catch the first part of what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then other times he stopped in front of a loud restaurant. where oons, <laughs> So you could not hear him at all. And I understand that, like, here's where the murder happened. So you want to stand where the murder happened. But I also understand it doesn't help if I can't hear anything about the murder that happened. So I kind of felt like he should move, like, half a block up where you can hear him and then point and say, okay, that corner. Um, and make sure everyone's in, like, a circle around you where, you know, like, hey, come here. Yeah, because it was just like, oont, oont, oont. you know, I wonder what kind of beer they're drinking. And that, you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't hear anything. Yeah, so that those were really our our main complaints with it. He was very knowledgeable and engaging. That was good. And it was really, I think it was worth the money other than those. He also told ghost stories. So if we passed someplace that had like a supposed ghost story, he would tell us about the haunting. And we stopped at the Driscoll Hotel and we went up to get a drink. (laughs) $50 later for two drinks. And I think uh, Igor's drink literally was two sips. And I don't mind ridiculous money for alcohol, but two sips of anything. Walking from the bar <laughs> to the seating area, which was like 20 feet, if that, I sat down, took my last sip. And I was like, okay, that was nice. <laughs> that was yeah, it. So that was, uh, that was a little upsetting, but you know, we're on vacation. Hey. Yeah. But yeah, but it was still, it was a fun trip and we're glad that we did the murder walk. So we do recommend that. Um, and we did send feedback like, Hey, this was a great thing. Just maybe do these things to make it a little bit better for people. And surprisingly enough, we were hungry by the time the walk was over. So luckily we made it back to review in time to have a couple pizzas. And when I say a couple pizzas, they're pretty small. And they have bit, I mean, it's, there's like four slices or something yeah plus we were we hadn't really we had walked two miles I'm just gonna say that (laughs) I'm we walked two miles yes we were hungry girls so we had a pizza it was going down good with alcohol so we had another pizza and we were having sister talk so it was uh it was like after midnight wasn't it by the time we got back to the room I think so I was a big girl late for us (laughs) yes I was a we were big girls We were like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're still awake. We're enjoying the crime con. I think that's what it's about. Was it that night? Was it then the next day that I was hung over a little bit? I Um, think so. Then we went to brunch the next day. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit, but still. Yeah, because I was drunk Thursday night and you were drunk Friday night. (laughs) We like to take turns. turns. Yeah. Day two, we started the morning with brunch at the 1886 Cafe and Bakery, which is part of the Driscoll Hotel. That's one other good thing about taking the murder walk is you see different parts and people can suggest other things. And they had suggested brunch at the 1886. When I looked up the menu, I saw they had a Texas-shaped Belgian waffle covered in fresh fruit. So I was like, I don't care what we're doing. We're going to there for brunch. So we went there. The only thing that was surprising is that it's really fancy looking but you walk in and it's basically like um where you like walk up and you place your order and then you go sit down and they bring it to you it's like so it's kind of like a smash or burger or panera yeah that yeah. kind of a, i guess that's the new thing the hipster thing i don't know I, but you know if i'm going to to get brunch i'm just i'm old school i want to sit down you bring me shit 
And then I feel like I'm your boss. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be a little more like that, bitch, which it was, I said, bitch. <laughs> bitch, 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 which it was still really good. And I still feel like I got my money's worth. The Texas shaped Belgian waffle was amazing. And the coffee was really good. So overall, I would recommend the 1886 brunch. Just realize they're not going to serve you like maybe you would expect. But it still was really good. It's just, yeah. yeah. On to the first session of the second day. Igor and I went to separate sessions. So I wanted to go see Gil Carrillo, who was in the Night Stalker documentary. He's a detective, which I'll get into. But Igor wanted to see about the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. So we decided we'll just go our separate ways and go to those sessions and tell each other about it. Mine, I'll go through real fast and then I'll let Igor go through hers. Mine was called Beyond the Night Stalker, The Incredible Career of Gil Carrillo. It's based on the Netflix docuseries Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. Carrillo was a former L.A. County Sheriff's homicide detective. He was the first Latino to reach the rank of lieutenant detective. He started in the first plainclothes gang unit in East L.A. and he moved up. It was interesting to hear him talk about his career in general. He was very laid back and conversational. He didn't talk too fast, told really interesting stories. And then he did delve into what it was like working on the Night Stalker case. So I really enjoyed it. I think, like I said, he was engaging and I love him now. So he was awesome. And it's funny because at one point we got off the, we were in the elevator and someone, the doors open and mm-hmm. someone got off the elevator and she saw him and she's like, oh, it's you. And he goes, oh, it's you. <laughs> so he has a good sense of humor. And that was a, that was an interesting. And game. admit it. He's your true crime boyfriend. He's not my true crime. You said him what I, I'm telling everybody. What? True crime boyfriend. You gots to have one when you're in true crime. Okay. All right, so tell us about uh, the one you went to. I went to Why Take the Kids, A Closer Look at the Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell and the Murder of Her Two Sons. My big takeaways from this is that religion can be so oppressive to women. They were Mormon. She was very much more into it than he was. Nothing against that. Josh Powell, which was her husband, he was supported and assisted by his father and his brothers throughout his life and his different crimes. There's molestations within family and I think a neighbor. Also, his father, Stephen, was stalking Susan. It's just the most unbelievable, creepy thing. And he also bullied his way through the system when his kids were taken away from him, finally, to gain access to his sons so he could end everybody's life the way that he wanted to. They still haven't found Susan's body. They still consider her missing, that she's her disappearance. It just was very involved. And I just, it was one of those, you felt kind of like you went to a funeral Mm. because it was so, they walked you through everything, the failings, the, it, it, it's just one of those where every, a lot of balls seem to be dropped, you know, and if it was a regular day, one or two, maybe that could happen once or a couple times because we're human, but everything just just failed them. And it, it was horrible. If you know about anything about it, even, I mean, just the way the kids, the two little boys died, I don't want to go into it, but it's horrendous. And yeah. yeah, that was one of those, like I said, after that second day, I was just done. I, I just, yeah, Big Mama needed a drink. Yeah. The ones who were speaking at the conference for that specific session was Annie Bremner, which was a trial attorney, and Evan Berrialt, who mm-hmm. was a trial attorney. So it was the two trial attorneys that talked about the case of 
the disappearance of Josh Powell's wife, Susan, and the murder of their sons, Charlie and Brayden. So yeah, that's that's a lot. I was kind of glad I went to the lighter hearted thing, but it was interesting to hear about the case. And again, it's it's another thing where you really hope that eventually justice, justice can be done for the poor victims. So on to the next one, it was the trial of Joe Exotic, rightfully convicted or wrongfully conspired. Now, I had no idea what to really expect from this or who, yeah, me either. who would be speaking on behalf of him. But obviously, I was like, okay, you know, we'll just see what this is about. This will be something kind of interesting and fun. It was Jim Rathman, a former Secret Service agent and lead investigator for Investigation Discoveries limited series Joe Exotic Tigers Lies and Cover-Up. He basically looked up information for the defense on the Joe Exotic case. It was intriguing to see some of the ways in which it was kind of bullshit where like they only did autopsies on the tiger's heads and not the whole bodies. So there were certain things that I can see where no matter how you feel about Joe Exotic, anybody in that case, there should have been autopsies done on that on the animals. And then they went through how, well, when the FBI agent baited him and said, hey, go, if you really want to kill her, go buy a gun. And he's like, well, no, you go buy a gun. And he's like, okay, we'll go buy burner phones. And he's like, no, you go buy burner phones. <laughs> so he didn't, he never fell into the FBI's trap of officially having intent to kill. It was interesting to see the defense version of things. And of course, he's all like, boom, in your face, mic drop. But my, our thing was, well, that's only part of the story. Right. That's why you need to hear the prosecution because there are still things within the defense that you have to, because the, if the idea is, well, he put the tigers down unfairly. That's why you needed the autopsy because, mm -hmm. because, and they also said that the tigers had abscesses. So, okay. So that proves, okay, they were in pain. So he put them down, but what if they had abscesses because he wasn't taking care of them? Right. The neglect was my issue. Right. So there are still things that need to be addressed, but I think it's still interesting to see from that side, as long as you keep in mind, that's one side. Right. And that's what I was saying to V while we were there is that, I mean, he did lay out the points and it was interesting because I didn't realize that, the, you know, he laid out the, the like two counts of attempted or murder for hire, five counts of the uh, cruelty to animals. So he laid it all out and he addressed each of them. So I respected that. And again, I respect the fact that we need people that are willing to go against what maybe everyone else is saying and look into it for themselves. We need to do that. It's just at the very beginning, he asked, oh, raise your hand if you think Joe Exotic is guilty. You know, a bunch of people, most of the place at the end he asked. And I was one of the only people that still held their hand up because again, I, I got his point and he's right. But my thing is the, the whole thing, he didn't address the neglect. He didn't address a lot of things that I saw and heard because I also listened to podcasts about it as well as the Netflix series. I think it's important to, to keep an open mind still. And I mean, that's fine. I understand you do your research, you make up your mind, but I just, it was still one side of the story. It still really was. Yeah. Well, after that, we had lunch at our favorite Ironworks barbecue again. Barbecue. So I got my, uh, my Lone Star. And then we went to How to Heat Up a Cold Case, which was Helen Gone podcaster host Catherine Townsend, who is a licensed PI. So what she did is she went through how if you have a cold case, what is the best way to approach it? How do you kind of break it open? How do you deal with it step by step? And she used examples of, she has three seasons of her podcast now, which again is Helen Gone. 
So the first one, she went through mostly the first season mm-hmm. where she's like, we heard about this case. I think, didn't she say that her sister, it was like her sister's friend? Right, right. it was a family. It was like a second degree or first, you know, kind of a thing. Right, so they actually knew some of the people involved, but they didn't, they weren't like so closely involved. They knew everything that happened. It explains like the cops wouldn't help out. They didn't want anyone involved. They didn't want to help at all. So, she, you know, so it was kind of interesting to hear how she bounced back from those obstacles. And she's an attractive young woman. So she also talked about how she started off as a New York journalist writing about celebrities and doing dating things and how it's people hard for people to take her seriously. But then she also talked about how sometimes you can use that to your advantage to make people feel comfortable enough to talk to you so you can help try to figure out this cold case. I thought it was really interesting. And Mm -hmm. I think she did a good job. She kind of lost her train of thought sometimes even though she had a slide and her notes. <laughs> she was obviously very passionate, but yes. just kept losing her place. She just needed to focus more, but it was very good. I've listened yes. to the first season of the podcast. And don't forget about her little dog. She'd bring her little, what was it, a chihuahua? I think so. To also put people at ease, which is a good idea. Kind of cheating because people will melt for kids and dogs, but <laughs> hey. If it helps you find out how maybe uh, to figure out how someone was killed then you know completely that was good and interesting the next one we went to we were not sure because it was about ariel castro if you don't know he kidnapped three women in cleveland and had them for nine years and Mm -hmm. no one knew that they were there kept them and obviously it was not a good situation so then finally they got free and gina de jesus was there speaking she was one of the women who were kept captive the i think there is a key in the title of the session surviving castro how a lost decade created a fierce advocate Mm -hmm. and this is one where it could have been really hard it could have been difficult for everyone involved to get through but what they did is instead of just focusing on her time as a captive they focused on what she did afterwards so they certainly address what what the family went through because that's another huge piece of it. Gina was kidnapped and held for nine years. After she got home, her and her cousin Sylvia Colon founded the Cleveland Center for Missing, Abducted, and Exploited Children and Adults. They were there, Sylvia and Gina, and they were joined by Newburgh Heights Police Chief and Board Director John Majoy, who was is chair of the Northeast Ohio Amber Alert Committee. So there's a lot that's that's happening right there. Mm -hmm. So basically, once Gina was free, the family had been through so much. Like she starts off by saying, we had to beg for help. We had to beg for food. If you've never been through it and you don't have anybody else around you that knows what to do. I mean, this is like nine years. Can you imagine nine years of not knowing where your sister, your daughter, your mm-hmm. cousin. Trying and, to keep and, hope when yeah, everyone's and, telling you to give up. Right. And, and especially like even the first, I mean, I don't even know the first how long, but just trying to get through your daily life, being guilty, feeling guilty to go to your job, Mm -hmm. not eating, not sleeping, taking care of your other kids, taking care of just feel bad and just thrown off. Right. So their whole, their big thing was, okay, we've got Gina back. Let's help other families who've had to deal with this. And Gina was all about, if I can get something good to come out of this, let's do it. Well, they formed this center and she's been crucial to the formation of it. And they also, I mentioned the Amber Alert. So they also started an Amber Alert committee. If you know, like every once in a while, your phone will buzz and it's an Amber Alert. So they're a big part of that. And it's just, it was so uplifting 
yes. which you would not expect. And they were really good. They didn't have most, any other session had question and answers at the end. Instead of doing that and opening it up to chaos, mm. they just said, hey, write down your question hand it to us. And then we, you know, maybe we'll read it. They really try to keep it focused on the positive and they spun it that way. So if there was a question asked that could be taken as like, I want to know the dirty details. Right. I want to you know, know about I mean, your is, captivity. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is understandable because basically someone asked like, what would you say to someone who's in that same situation? But they didn't want to address, you know, they wanted to focus on, well, let's focus on what happened after. You know, so they change it to, well, what about the families going through it? What would you, how would you advise the families? And, and I, just to really reiterate how important this, this service is, mm -hmm. it, they have a place where families can come because, you know, if the press comes, you can't go home. So they have a place you can go and they actually have, you know, they have people who've been through it. They make sure, you know, look, it's okay for you to sleep right now. It's okay for you to do this. And we've got They'll these feed resources. You. They'll guide you on what to say. They'll even schedule a press conference. Press, there you go. They'll schedule a press conference and help you through it yeah, and they help navigate the media with you. Right. So it's amazing. And Gina was amazing. She was definitely my hero. She kept saying hope, hope. She's been, she was held captive for nine years. She was 14 when she was kidnapped. Yes. We've all heard some things that have happened to her and the other women that were held. And I was like, um, like V, I was afraid that they were going to be, she was going to be like, I was hung up and pregnant with his child and they beat the baby. I mean, just so many things that had happened. I was really nervous and wasn't sure I could go. So the fact that they spun it and made it hopeful and positive, I was so glad about for everybody. It just was like, like V said, it could have been completely different. And I'm so glad they did it that way. But that just shows you the focus and the support that's around it is so positive. Yeah. And, and to really drive it home is she the place where the building is the foundation is 300 yards from where she was being held captive. Now the house has been torn down. Cousin was like, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think we should have it so close to where you were held captive. And she's like, you know what, if I can go there, anyone can go there. She so was completely the like advocate. Yes. Yeah. It, she was the advocate for that. She goes, I can, and that, get, and you know, I always it's say amazing. about things, don't give the power. After our dad died and we weren't able to go into that church that he was, had the funeral in for like seven years or something crazy. And finally we had to overcome that and say, it's just a place. I can't give it power. And that's just with a, we'll say a natural thing like death. That situation's nothing's natural about it. And right. she completely said to the same type of theory, I'm not going to let it have power. That I got goosebumps now just talking mm -hmm. about it. Oh, me it's too. just amazing. She's very shy. And obviously she's like, I have anxiety. No shit. But mm. she's still able to get up in front of people and use this. So it was really inspirational. And again, I will do a shout out and post the information because they also have, um, they also mentioned clevelandmissing.org. Well, that's the website is clevelandmissing.org. So I'll post that. If you, if you want to give money to it, that's great. Anything that you can do. And what was awesome is so after they speak, someone, a representative of CrimeCon came out and they were like, any donations made that's until right. Friday mm -hmm. will match. It I was forgot just, about that. Yeah. So that's it was awesome. just amazing. And it, yeah, it was a very positive thing. And I'm really glad we wound up going to that. And I will post more information about it in case you want to check it out as well. So the next session, thankfully, was a little bit lighter. It Thank was, God. Yeah. It was Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. How to Know When Someone is Lying. It was hosted by Mark McClish, 
who is a retired deputy U.S. Marshal, renowned statement analysis expert, spent nine years teaching interviewing techniques at Marshall Service Training Academy. And during that time, he developed this statement analysis technique. So it's actually copyrighted statement analysis. The website is statementanalysis.com. <laughs> when I checked it out, they do actually have training. So you can get, mm -hmm. there are training dates, there's a video series, there's even a statement analyzer where you can like, I guess, put something in and it's an online program that detects deception. They have analysis posted of famous cases like Casey Anthony, JonBenet Ramsey, OJ Simpson, the West Memphis Three, Michael Jackson, and more. He's analyzed a lot of things. And what, what we liked about it is he was very focused. Now I'm used to the, how to tell someone's lying by their face or by their body language. His was primarily language. He would say, if you ask them a question, but they don't answer the questions. So they, he gave an example like Hillary Clinton. They asked, hey, did you, you said you weren't gonna lie to the American public, did you? And she's like, well, I tried not to. He's like, if you notice, try is not doing. He gave so many examples yeah. of politicians. It was pretty heavy politicians, but of course then some murderers, you know, convicted, or I think they were all convicted murderers, but if not, I'll say alleged. Yeah. So I'm not in trouble. But he did go um, mm -hmm. on both sides of politicians. It wasn't just Republican or Democrat. Right. It wasn't it was like, yeah, it we, yeah, we were neutral on that. Unbiased. It was just very, yes, it was very good. He went through like four or five different ways with a caveat that if you do one of these, it doesn't necessarily mean you're lying. But if you do all of them, then most likely there's something that you're hiding. So he had a great example at the end of somebody who did all of them. And as you're hearing it, you're like, holy shit, no, he's right. Like, this is really loaded language that if you didn't really pay attention, then you'd just be like, oh, okay, whatever. But if you know what to look for, then shit. I really enjoyed that one. And he was very focused. I thought he he had a good presentation. So I was really glad we went to that yeah, one. Yeah, and, and he used everyday examples just like, infomercials and yeah. things he's seen and just I mean how he how he interprets things of what they're saying like even I think that he mentioned like the reading of the fortunes things like that oh yeah like the psychics yeah the psychics and yeah. stuff so it just it was really I would say that was the most fun even though he was still analyzing things about murderers or you know deep stuff but it's still it was a different take on yeah. something and yeah, uh, that definitely. you can still apply. I, I applied it when I was watching the Netflix special on Chris Watts. <laughs> when Chris Watts was doing saying things, I was like, oh my God, he's totally lying. Of course, I think <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an analyst now. Yeah. <laughs> now, unfortunately, the next one was another heavy one, but it was the last one of the day, so then we can go drink afterwards. Yeah, we did. It was the Delphi murders. Who killed Abby and Libby? February 13th, 2017. Abigail Williams and Liberty German were murdered on a walk along a trail. So they had been heard their sister, Libby's sister, Kelsey, had dropped them off. And then they wound up found dead the next day. Kelsey is searching for the killer along with their grandmother, Becky, Becky Patty, and the aunt, Tara German. So those are the three who were there, Kelsey, Becky, and Tara, along with HLN host, Susan Hendricks. Susan spoke very softly, which I understand, but it was a little frustrating because it was kind of hard to hear her. Thankfully, we could hear the others pretty well, but basically she just asked them questions about the timeline and walking through the timeline and what they were feeling. And I think they were only like, what, 13 and 14? Yes, they were 12 and 13 or 12 something and 13. like that. Yeah. Right, because they had just celebrated graduation. They would so have graduated. They would have graduated. So that was 
you know, another really big thing for them that those milestones. And so they were, they're going around hoping because they haven't found the killer. That's a big thing is it's a cold case that they don't really have many good leads on. They're really getting out there trying to get people to see if there's any way they can help. And the thing that's upsetting, not like the only thing, but one of the things that's really upsetting is that the police will not reveal anything about the murder nothing so, about like what they found they we just know they were found dead not what condition and there's a part of me that understands that but there's another part of me that's like you just want to know we, we're so involved in this and i've listened to podcasts and i've watched the different uh, documentaries and of course seeing the family right there it's frustrating because you do want to know however all they have is that audio recording that libby took Oh, that's right. Of him saying down the hill. If, yeah, that's the most famous part of it. And the, you know, bridge guy and people are doxing people doing side by side comparisons trying to say I think I you know, I get that they're trying to help, but it's not it's actually can ruin people's lives. Well, and my main issue or fear with that is that normally they can at least say, okay, this person was strangled or this person, you know, right. they can give you just a very basic idea without telling you like they left a button in the victim's left hand, you know, because that's right. something that only the killer would know. How fucked up was the crime that they can't give any information with fear that it will taint what the killer and knows. that could go either way so uh, that could yeah, either make this killer look like he or she is probably a dude, but he or she is such a gruesome or you know dangerous killer or maybe they're keeping it to the vest because they were so young and it's a small town well and so, it could be you know, that it was so not so basic but maybe there's not enough details to hide mm -hmm. so maybe it's the opposite maybe it's that he strangled them with a belt and that's the only thing that they have so they don't want to give that away right. i don't know it, it, they don't want to say strangled because maybe that there's something about that even that so i don't know it may not be as uh, nefarious as I'm as my mind is filling in I'm hoping it's not because I'd hate to think that these Me poor too. girls went through anything but we're not the only you know. ones right everybody is saying that and, and wondering that and you know they whenever they've been asked about any uh rape or assault in that way they won't say, they won't anything. say anything and that was the one that made me cry I mean mm. I teared up several times but this yeah. one really made me cry this was then I think we, it was over and we went to dinner went out and mm. I was like enough i can't talk about yeah. it anymore i i just can't it just was and it's one of those things where you can't help from a f family pers perspective is there's a part of you that that you need to know but maybe there's a part of them it's good they don't know but still i think as a it's just hard to not know and i think as hard as it would be to know i don't know it's it's just such a hard situation mm. and I really feel for them. So I will also be posting information about that case as well. So maybe if there's anything you can do or help spread the word, we'll give you that opportunity. The other sessions that day were Praveen Viragis, A Mother's Fight for Justice, Victim F from Crime Victims to Suspects to Survivors, The Animal Beta Project, Unmaking a Murderer, a conversation with Brandon Dassey's lawyer, Laura Nereider, Psychology of Evil with Dr. Phil. That's right. Dr. Phil was there. Dior Coons Jr., the Crime HQ Cold Case Club. Evil at our elbows. Monsters blending in. You guessed it. Nancy Grace. So we had Dr. Phil and Nancy Grace. The Murder Room on the Hunt for a Black Widow. Composing Crime TV and Audio Assault on Your Senses. Q&A with Carl Marino. The Cutting Edge, the True Crime Journalism in the Digital Age with... 
Chris Hansen. So the big three were there. We had Dr. Phil, Nancy Grace, and Chris Hansen. And then there was confronting OJ Simpson, a candid conversation with Kim Goldman. And then uh, Igor, would you like to talk about the people who had meet and greets? We have Crime Weekly hosts, Victim F, Dr. Phil, Jason Hansen, Ann Bremner, Detective Gill, did you say Carrillo? Jim Rathman, Laura Nyrider, Catherine Townsend, Nancy Grace, which I never saw her on Podcast Row, did you? Mm-mm. Okay. Dr. Laura Petler, Gina DeJesus, Sylvia and Chief Majoy, Chris Hansen to catch a predator, Mark McClish, and Kim Goldman. Some people you saw walking around. I never saw Nancy Grace or Dr. Phil walk around, and I'm not surprised. Yeah. But apparently they were there. They probably just hit a little bit more. It just seemed funny that Nancy Grace would even have a table at Podcast Row. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, I, I don't know if she was there, but they do a good job of having so much going on. Yeah. So, and we'll get more into other things that were at the convention as well. The important thing is this is the night that we went to the Texas Chili Parlor. Yes, we did. And if you are a Quentin Tarantino fan, then you are tingling like I was tingling. I had not made lots of connections with what, where all to go in Texas because I wasn't sure how much time we'd have since we had the convention. So I was just kind of like going to be loosey-goosey and like whatever's around we'll do. And then Igor had looked up the murder walks. I'm like, oh, cool. We can do that. We can fit that in. Well, then someone, one of my Facebook friends posted that they were at the Texas Chili Parlor. And I was like, holy shit, that's in Austin. I look, it's literally like around the corner from our hotel. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a couple blocks. I was like, oh my God. And I messaged Igor, like, we're going there. I don't care what we have to do. <laughs> Thankfully, they were good about ending the sessions about seven o'clock so you could have time in the evening. So mm -hmm. we Ubered over there. And let me tell you, it was amazing. Now it does look a little different. And I was, <laughs> I was literally looking at my phone and looking at pictures from the movie so I could see, okay, that's where Kurt Russell sat at the bar. <laughs> that's where he sat during the lap dance. Now, the section in the movie where they were sitting at that round table and doing their shots and eating, that's different in the actual place. And I don't know if they just did that for the movie or if it's been redesigned since then. Right. It's been re so it, it was doesn't what, look 2007 movie. Yeah, it's been mm -hmm. it's been a little bit. So it's not exactly like what you would think. And the exterior is not the exterior in the movie, because in the movie, it like has that big parking lot. And this is in the middle of the city. But yeah, at least it's rather run down looking. Yeah. It, you could say it was a dive, but it's it's a good dive. I mean, it's oh one of those God. places that you could say, if you want some good drinks and food, go to this dive. Yes, it was all oh, the chili. It was amazing. And it was a little spicy for me, but I loved it. I had, had the gumbo. Big, oh yeah, the, the was the gumbo pretty spicy. I couldn't remember what you said. It was. Plus, I added I added the uh, jalapeno uh, in yeah. it. And didn't you have to get sour cream? <laughs> I had to get sour cream because it was a little <laughs> spicy for me. <laughs> yeah, but it was so fucking good. They had like chunks of brisket in it, and then they were having a, a special on Bloody Marys. So I was like, I was drinking Bloody Marys, eating hot chili, and then the waitress. When we mentioned that we were there for Death Proof movie and we asked, like, would do many people come here? Because we figured we were one of those assholes. She's like, oh, yeah, people come all the time and we love it. So she was like, I think we have some chartreuse. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't even think about getting a shot. Never had it. So I was like, well, of course, I've got to get a shot of it because they do that in the movie. And, you know, the chartreuse. She got me a shot of that. I then had a shot of chartreuse. 
And then Igor couldn't finish her second margarita. So I drank some of that and I'm having, you know, sour cream and chili. So I was like, I'm probably going to be miserable tonight, but it's going to be worth it. And we had to fly the next day. So I was like, this may be like the worst thing I've ever done to myself in my life, but I'm going to do it. I, I don't think that that would be knowing you. It wasn't, <laughs> but tell them what you're that Cause I'm getting older. What was that's true. What's your outcome? <laughs> what did it taste like? The chartreuse? Oh, the chartreuse. I believe that I said it was a mixture of hairspray and perfume yes. and that it had a taste of its own. Yes, you did. So it was very distinct. I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't unpleasant, but it wasn't the most pleasant. Like, I don't know that I'd really want to do it again. I mean, if I go back, I will do another one because, you know, Cause, but hey, it's not something that I will just ask for anywhere I go. Right. right. And the waitress was so awesome. She showed there were, they had t-shirts there and she gave the, a, uh, bumper sticker yeah I got a and bumper sticker. I mean she was really cool and I did you do you talk to her a little bit more I was mm. drinking did she say what was her connection with another podcast was she helping one or I don't remember that detail okay anyway um, she said oh on. you know what she said that she she asked how we got because of course we mentioned the podcast because we are podcast uh well we are advertising horse so I mentioned you know we gave her information our business cards and stuff she said well what got you started and so I was like, oh, we just really like true crime. And she's like, oh, because I know other people that have a podcast because they're in forensics. <laughs> I was like, okay, I feel like I gave you the most anticlimactic answer. Yeah. But, you know, that's okay. I mean, sometimes the truth is anticlimactic, but you know what's climactic is the podcast. Yes. That's what matters. I climaxed just now. I did twice. Yeah. So the Texas Chili Parlor, I will definitely be going back. It was amazing and tasty and I loved it. That was the end of our second day there. Now, day three, we had let ourselves some, have some room service. Again. And we got the Eggs Benedict again. Again. This time. Was a little different. Mm. Uh, the first time, oh my God, it was so perfect. And the eggs were perfectly runny. And the muffins were toasted. So to much perfection. sauce. So much hollandaise sauce. So much sauce. sauce. Yes. And there were um, potatoes that it came with that were nice and buttery. And they just, you know, it was, everything was wonderful. So the last day, I don't know, they didn't like crime con people. They were burnt out. They were having a rough they morning. Had a bad morning. Yeah, we never yeah. know. We take the lid off and immediately you see there's like no sauce. Like there's just like a baby sauce a shortage because there was hardly any sauce. Yeah. And the muffins were burnt practically. There's but if you think sauce. that I didn't eat it, you're crazy. I oh, ate the no. shit out of that. Yeah. And then the eggs were, were overdone. But it was still good. You know, the potatoes were a little drier. So I don't know, like I said, if they were running out of stuff, they were having a rough morning or they hated us. I don't know. <laughs> Which I'd understand to an extent, but we really didn't have a lot of issues with people being too loud. You know, it really, we were kind of a fun bunch for yeah. liking what we like. Well, you know, it's like anything you take it in stride. We just chose to laugh about it. And <laughs> the other thing that's kind of funny is so we walked around the hotel a little bit. We knew that there were the Fulton and the Review which is also in a restaurant called Garrison, which it, that's another thing that was confusing is you had the review inside the Garrison and the Garrison had separate hours. So it had a different menu. It was like a Russian doll of restaurants. Yeah. It it's like, are you sitting weird... here? You're sitting here because this is closed. Well, I guess what? Whatever. Just yeah. give me a drink. Oh yeah. We got confused. So there was another place called Good Things and it was kind of set a little bit apart from the others. So we now, we just had kind of glanced in and it was like, um, kind of like a Starbucks type thing where it was like a coffee shop and bake. We were like, eh, you know, we weren't paying much attention. Well, I decided 
I wanted some real coffee because the coffee in the room, it was fine, but it was like the little espresso type thing. And I wanted a, yeah. And I wanted a big old cup of coffee. Tiny. So the last day, and keep in mind, like this whole weekend, we were walking around like, well, we're, I'm really thirsty. Where can we get water? I don't know where to get water. And I go downstairs to get us coffee while she waited on the breakfast and I walk in good things. And as soon as I turn to my right, there's a whole fucking like convenience store there. So they had, you know, like touristy things like shirts and shot glasses and whatever. And then there was drinks and sandwiches and there were snack foods. I would have spent so much more money. So in a way it's better. (laughs) Yeah. Which we could have just gone down there and grabbed a bottle of water or something and, you know, or charge it to the room. Yeah. Oh yeah. I kind of kicked myself. So one thing, another thing that I learned with traveling, since we never do it, is check out everything in the hotel. Because you may be thinking, I don't know where something is, and they have it. Yep. So it's a good idea. Just look through all the literature that they give you and just walk through everything and just see and double check hours and things like that. So that was kind of funny. But the good news is we were able to get snacks because we didn't want to get caught starving on our flights home. So we got some snacks. So it, it was awesome. It worked out. The coffee was really good. So we were prepared for the last day of CrimeCon. And the first session we went to was Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, live podcast taping with Great. Wendy and Beth Williams. They are awesome. Mm-hmm. And they're lots of fun. They even had like an air horn button that she broke somehow. And <laughs> don't was, think I uh... don't want to have a soundboard. <laughs> now, Vicky's not a fan, but <laughs> I am determined to get a soundboard. <laughs> and note, only Igor is allowed to ever call me Vicky. No one ever, ever, ever call me Vicky. It is Queen V. Or I'm v. special. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And they were very, they're really good. They're really good at, they give you all of the information about the serial killer, but then they also focus on social and racial issues and how that all kind of intertwines and, and they're entertaining while they do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, really good. We start our day off with that. So that was awesome. Then we went to BTK's Daughter, a conversation with Carrie Rawson. And as you can imagine, this was another one that was kind of difficult, but she kept it positive. So it was it was another one where you could see how they took it and from being something just terrible that they had to go through to trying to turn it into something that is positive. Carrie Rawson is Dennis Rader's daughter and HLN's Susan Hendricks interviewed her. So we have Susan in there again, speaking softly and empathetically. <laughs> I was just going to mention Vicky's favorite, <laughs> soft speaking. Yeah, I mean, she was she's great. Just talk a little bit louder. You can still sound like you have empathy. But Carrie, it was, she, well, if, in case you don't know, she did write the book, A Serial Killer's Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming. I actually have the book. I haven't read it yet, but I, I have, don't l- have read. don't have to now. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have read quite a bit about BTK. So I knew that this one was probably going to be difficult. But what is really interesting is to hear it from her perspective. So she's like, hey, you know what? This guy was my dad. We went fishing together. I grew we, you know, I grew up and we just did normal things. So I go off to college and all of a sudden an FBI agent's at my door. Like your dad's a BTK. How do you seriously like if someone came up to you? Right. And the first thing she wants you want to do is like, no, and start giving him an alibi, start breaking it down like, oh, no, because of this and this and this. And then the way she comes to the realization. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is you have to realize he stopped for like eight years. years yeah. Eight, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Something. He stopped for I can look uh, it up. But yeah. Yeah. He did stop for years. So, uh, so a lot of those murders happened before she was even born or when she was really little. At that point, you know, when she's little and things are happening, she's not looking it up. So then 
like a decade goes by and she's older. And so it's not really, it's not happening. So it's not really in the forefront. Well, then all of a sudden they bring it up and she doesn't know anything really. I mean, she knows the basics because her first thought when they came in and said, you know, the BTK, she's like, is my grandma okay? Because her first thought was like, oh, my family is a victim. But no, actually your dad is a BTK. So it's, it was really interesting to see then her go back through. And she's like, well, when I was six, my neighbor disappeared. Mm. But how was I to know I was six? How was I to know that my dad did that? Why would I associate my dad with that at six years old? So you're like reliving your life through a different lens of complete like suspicion and, but yet like a little bit of hope, like, no, this can't be, they're wrong. I can't even imagine when she says how she found a a business card and on the back of the card, I think it showed how he wanted the name of a woman and how he wanted to kill her. And she saw it and that, that, I think that's and his what handwriting. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what really drove it home to her is she, her, it was her I old bedroom. I can't imagine that. Her bedroom that she had lived in before she went to college and moved out, he turned it into his office where he would mm. actually like take notes and he would make the letters and do the boxes. So she was in that room like, oh my God, this was my room. Do I even want anything from this room anymore? And she went to grab a book and that card fell out. And that's when it really cemented it for her is to see something on her own in her hands that she knows was her dad's, it's in his handwriting, that it was him. And she also mentioned during the trial, he made a comment that his family was just pawns. So she said that's another thing where she's just like that. Your father is calling you a pawn. There's just a lot. And she talks about how basically she shut down for years, but then she finally started to go through therapy and started to realize that, and some people, like jackasses people can be, they're like, you're not a victim. You weren't hurt. He didn't touch you. Dumb. I yeah. can't even wrap Just, my mind around that thought. I couldn't even look. <laughs> if I had gone through something like that, I couldn't look at Facebook again. I mean, oh my God. I get general anxiety from Facebook and have to shut down. But if I went through something huge where everyone knew, I couldn't. Yeah, so she, basically she shut down and she said she couldn't look at people in the eye, that she just constantly felt guilty. And her world was turned upside down. So basically she lost her father because he's not the father she ever knew. And she went through how she tried to, she cut him off and then she tried to reconnect with him. And then he wound up, like she talked to the the newspaper and he came out like, oh, she's just like me. She's using the newspaper for her own ends. So he twists everything t- to fit his ego. And there, she talks about several times when he and does how he like inserts that. himself into things where mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with him. Like, yes, she was talking, but she was trying to have her voice about right. her experience. And he would write to the editor or the journalist. There you go. And, and he would insert himself and make it about him. And so she finally, didn't she say that she finally just had to not yeah. communicate and had, I think even a restraining order. Yeah. And the thing is too, is this is another thing that I think is really important to know is you hear it, but it's like any of this, if there's one other thing that I learned from this is it's easy to listen to hear, to hear people say things and say things like, um, you know, my dad was serial killer or my loved one was taken away from me and you feel it, but you, there's still like kind of a block there Mm -hmm. and to hear it like firsthand, it really drives it home. So like she said, He's not supposed to get things in prison has anything to do with us, but someone and and the murder, any of the crimes, someone sent him a crime scene photo of of, uh, Susan Otero, the the mother of the the first family that he killed. They sent him a crime scene photo and he like autographed it and like sold it. Oh, no, he donates it. He don't. That's how he gets away with it. Right. And then someone sends him a gift of money. So technically it's selling, but not donations. What an asshole. Right. So then someone sent him a page of her book. And he signed it, the BTK signature. 
And when she found that out, she's like, he's not supposed to have access to that. So that's another thing is she's calling the prison. She's calling whoever she can call. Like, how is this getting through? So that's another thing that's that's upsetting that it would be great if we could address. I don't know how. Right. But that's the other helpless feeling that as as a victim, that you you have no control of that and that you're trying to find a way. I don't know. It's just it's it really was eye opening of that even it's been 16 years. And this is a recent development that, you know, because her book just came out like a few years ago. So this is a new development that he's getting access to things he shouldn't have access to. And he's still finding a way to impose himself in her life. So that's another where it just it really opens your eyes to a lot of things that are happening. And right. I, and like he can said, still find a way to victimize from right. prison. What she did is similar to Gina is where now she advocates for victims of abuse, crime and trauma. And I think she said that this this was her first crime con because she's terrified that people are going to treat her badly. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Like, I yeah. She said yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was nervous because she's like, I don't know how people are going to react to me. I don't know if they're going to hate me. I don't know if they're going to judge me. But she's like, I cannot believe the level of support here and how much love and consideration and everything that everyone's had. So she's like, it's totally worth getting out there and putting my story out there and hopefully helping other people. Yeah. And she started to get broken up, as you can imagine. I mean, most of the time she was really she could talk about it like firmly and but there was a moment when she said that that her therapist told her if she can touch one person, then she's you know, I think that's, that's what got her a standing ovation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it, again, you saw the who's someone who had been through such a horrible thing. And I don't even know how how I would begin to handle that. But she has done it. And she's hel- helping other people with it. So that was really another case where it could have been really devastating. But she spun it. So that way, it's still hard, as it should be with that topic. But there was a positive spin to it that gave you hope. So I'm really glad that it ended on an up note, even though it was something difficult. Definitely. The other sessions that day that we did not make it to were the Face Behind the Charlie Project, To Catch a Predator, Stories, Stings, and Safety in the Age of Social Media with Chris Hansen, (laughs) Chasing Cosby, The Downfall of America's Dad. Now I'll make a side note. We did pop in at the end of that because our next session was there. So we did catch a few minutes of that and a couple of the women who had been victims where they're speaking. So it was kind of interesting to hear. We heard a section where they were talking about feeling so singled out and alone because no one believed them. Mm. So it was interesting that, and they couldn't, and well, and the thing is, you you tend to think, oh, well, they had each other. But you know what? They couldn't talk. They weren't because allowed. They weren't allowed to talk because it was an ongoing court case. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't talk to each other. So, so sometimes they knew. That was the first time meeting, I think, for some of them. Right. Or even being because able they, to talk. Yeah, they couldn't talk to each other. So even though you know there's other people that are in your situation, then you can't talk about it. So that, again, it's there's a lot of eye-opening things. There was Red Flags, the Pulse nightclub shooting, Detecting Lies, the Truth About Lie Detectors, Inside Siege, Crisis, and Hostage, hostage Negotiation Incidents from OJ Onward, The Colonial Parkway Murders, The Case for and Against a Single, single Killer, Murderabilia, Crime Weekly with Stephanie Harlow and Derek Levasseur. And then uh, the meet and greet, Igor? Is the Delphi family, of course, like we said, Libby's family. Um, Now, on a side note, they did say that Abby's family does not do any type of speaking outside. So, you know, they respect their privacy. uh, But that's why, yeah. So I thought there'd be represented from both sides, but it was only Libby's family. And that's fine. I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just thought that, you know, to mention that. Then there were Lovers Lane panel, Charlie Project, Chasing Cosby panel, Dr. Kimberly Masnick and Pierre Pacheco, 
Dr. Chris Mohandler, Mohandel? Sorry, I got my Meemaw glasses on. There we go. And Carrie Rawson, the BTK's daughter. They had a bunch of people that you could meet and greet with. On a side note, I believe they did make it an Igor, if you can go into this just a little bit, where you can view sessions that you weren't able to attend. Oh, you can get like a true crime pass or something where I didn't, I don't remember how much it was, but that way you could like watch everything because everything was being recorded. And, but you can also have access after crime con to different things too. I really wanted to do that so we could kind of, you could just sit there and watch everything. But of course that way you could do it in spurts. So because if it got right. a bit too much. Yeah, that is something I, I still, I need to look into. I've been kind of thrown off after we've gotten back. Um, oh, but yeah, I would like to check into that because there's several things in there that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have had time to go to them. Now the podcasts that were represented there in either they did a session or they were part of podcast row, other than the ones we already mentioned, Generation Y, Voices for Justice, Gone Cold, Trace Evidence, The Philosophy of Crime, Murder-ish, Dialogue, Paradise After Dark, Foul Play, The Prosecutors, Happy Face, Texas Wine and True Crime, Chasing Cosby, True Crime All the Time, Affirmative Murder, Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, Crimepedia, Hide and Seek, Relative Unknown, Life After Happy Face, and then a few of the podcasters joined virtually only. Those were all on Podcast Row, which we'll, we'll get more into that here in a moment. But I wanted to talk about some of the podcasters that we spoke to. We did speak to Brain Scratch, which Igor, I'll let you take that over. It's Loudon Arts. I think it's John Loudon. And it's hmm. Loudon Arts is his, um, he has three YouTube channels and he has a couple of new podcasts. And I'm getting my notes up again. He was very good to talk to. He gave us a lot of good information, a lot of good suggestions. And yeah, it's John Lorden. Sorry, Lorden Lord Arts. So right. if you look at Lorden Arts, he's been doing this since like 2011 or 2013. Started with the YouTube. He's moved into the podcast. And he also was featured in the Cecil Hotel. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, I think the Vanishing but, at the Cecil or yes. something. And and he's doing so he's doing a lot, a lot of different spaces. So it was really great to meet him. Yeah, and we'll all I'll do a shout out to him as well. And I'll have all of his links there too. So I wasn't really familiar with him. So it was nice. He was very friendly. He was totally forthcoming with tips. And it was really nice to hear, we're still fairly new, where, especially during COVID, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. where he's like, in a podcast, you basically feel like you're in a vacuum. But on YouTube, people are not afraid to say stuff. Yeah. So he did encourage the YouTube thing. And we had been talking about it behind the scenes if we want to start delving into YouTube stuff. We are heavily considering having a YouTube presence. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting to hear. And again, it's kind of gratifying to hear other podcasters that are going, have gone through what you're going through. Yeah. So he was very friendly and it was very nice of him to speak with us as long as he did. We, we, we spent quite like a 10 minutes or something. Him. It was yeah. really great. Yeah, he was really cool. We also spoke with Colts, Crimes, and Cabernet. It was, I apologize. I don't remember her name. I think but what, we met um, Melissa. Okay, because I know every once in a while when I looked back over at the booth, it had different people. But right. she was super nice. The first thing that caught my attention is they had leave a sticker, get a sticker. And, you know, we had stickers. Of course. So I did the Murder Lab sticker, and she was so sweet. 
they had some the, the way they were set up their merch booth was set up in a really cool way they had it it was really impressive yeah and the thing is is that when we asked like how long have you been a podcast and she's like oh since september we have been doing it for like three months and they asked us to come here and i was like and that's what? literally when you just want to pack your shit and go home yeah v started <laughs> shutting down i saw her shutting down and i was like uh oh uh oh we're gonna have to drink but I also understand everybody has a different journey mm -hmm. and that's their journey. And also Igor reminded me that I gave it time before I started promote it because I wanted to make sure that it was a good product mm -hmm. before I started to promote it. I wanted to break in a little bit and I didn't want, you know, so I purposely didn't start advertising right away. And now we're in the phase where I feel like we, we're at a good place. Yeah. And that's part of the reason we went to crime, crime con. It's just really funny when you hear someone like, oh, I just started and now I'm here at crime you're con. You're like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> and the in inside you're like, bitch. <laughs> but they're really sweet. Um, I'm very happy for them. I'm glad that it's working out for them. And like I said, everybody has their own journey and they were really nice. They also had a corkscrew wine bottle opener thing. That's oh, also yeah. like a topper that you can put in, in the wine bottle mm -hmm. after the cork's out. So they had some cute merch and they were really nice. We look forward to talking to them and, and hopefully, you know, maybe we can get them to be on the podcast. We don't know. Speaking of maybe getting them to be on the podcast, we also spoke with Fruit Loops. Spoke with them before their live taping. I hadn't listened to them yet. Like their motto or their catchphrase is serial killers of color. So that right off the bat is intriguing to me because as we all know, I'm intrigued by things that are a little bit different. That very specific thing really caught my attention. And, I, and I'm, off the bat, you know, I was like, this is amazing that you chose something that people don't really address, that maybe they bring it up here and there. But what that enables them to do is have that social and racial and cultural aspect. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to me, especially in this time period. Yes. So, so it was really nice to, to talk to them and, and they were very, very friendly. And they actually suggested, which it's funny because we had tattoos on. Of course we had, I think I mentioned we had murder lab tattoos. Maybe I didn't. Did I mention that yet? I don't think so. Okay. So I was talking about some earlier today with someone. So we had murder lab tattoos because of course we would have tattoos of murder we lab. Tattoos. So we had our tattoos on and they were giving out tattoos. So we did the tattoo bonding. And when, you know, of course, we also gave them our business cards and stuff. And they actually were like, hey, um, we should cross promote. So I, I was just floored by how open everyone was. They don't know shit about us. They don't know if we're any good. But they're so open, open and welcoming and just like, hey, why not? Let's let's hook up. Let's let's do some stuff. I have reached out to them. So we'll see what comes from it. Hopefully it would be great if we could have them on the show. We'll just see. So we put it out into the universe and we'll just go from there. I added them to the other labs section of the website. So if you go to murderlabmedia.com, you can find True Crime Garage. You can find Fruit Loops along with several other podcasts that we enjoy. I encourage you to listen to Fruit Loops as well. Glenn Stout, let's talk about him for a minute because he was my BFF when, as soon as I started talking to him. So basically after Very the session, too, yeah. the next day when I had to meet Igor, so we did our separate sessions and I went to meet Igor, I saw him in the back of the room 
in between sessions, I was like, this is perfect. I just said, hey, I saw your session. And I mean, we we talked to each other like we've known each other for years. Like he was that easy to talk to. He is, and, yeah. and he's so excited. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with your research. And I'm all about research. And it was intriguing how you, and you know, and so then he, he told me even more details about things that he went through and how he sat for like two months and went through, well, not all at the same time consecutively. Every once in a while during those two months, he would research on microfilm. So if you remember microfiche, mm-hmm. he actually went through because the story is from the 1920s and there's all these papers and not all of them have been digitized onto computers. It was just enthralling. And so I was like, you know what? I was going to wait and buy his book till I got home because of the luggage situation. But I was like, fuck it. I'm like, I'm going to buy your book. I'm going to find you and autograph it. And he's like, great. And I'll give you some special swag. And I was like, well, even better. What was awesome is he gave me his card. And then later on, I hear someone like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> And it was him. He told me that he, he needed to correct something on the card. And as so, we were going down the escalator, <laughs> and I almost fell trying to stop to turn around to see who was talking. Igor almost sister. died. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> then that's what happens at CrimeCon is, you know, you do what you got to do to make these connections. That's right. But so he was very just again, I can't overstate how friendly he was and personable. Got worried. There's one more day left. And I was worried that we wouldn't be able to run into him again because it's it's not a small place, but it's not a big place. So you just don't know the timing thing. So I texted him and I was like, hey, it's me. Can we meet? And so he met with me and he was really friendly and he signed the books. He took a picture with us. He talked to us for he talked yeah. to us forever. And then he said, I'd love to be on your podcast. Yeah, so again, he said that to us. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's these how they're so excited to share and be part of things. And they don't know if we suck, but they're so excited (laughs) and we don't suck. I'll be reaching out to him. So hopefully we will have him on the show. And I'm super excited about that. And I did give him a shout out yesterday. So if you go to Murder Lab Facebook, you'll be able to see. I also have his link on the website. So he's also out on the website as well. He apparently has a whole bunch of books. So I look forward to searching those and reading those. As far as the CrimeCon experience in general, I think they did a good job at communicating. They had the disadvantage of everything got thrown up in the air with COVID. Mm -hmm. So it went from, (laughs) yeah, right. It went from, they said, okay, this is how it's going to be. And then shit, Florida, do it right in Florida. So we had our tickets to Florida and then that got canceled. Well, then as you can understand, the people who were set to go to Florida may not be able to reschedule. Mm -hmm. Plus they had capacity issues. So I really felt for them that they they really couldn't get their schedule completed until we were like uh, like the week of right or maybe it might they be still been a adding, week or two yeah before. they were still adding people like right up yeah. to it it just was it was it was difficult right so we we understood that but i think considering all the things they went through they were great about communicating Definitely. and trying to keep you updated i think we got like maybe weekly emails and mm-hmm. then as you were there it turned into daily they gave you an app where you could create your schedule so you could just click on the things you wanted to go to And it would email you just those sessions and it would include the time, the room and a synopsis of the event. They gave you a map so you know exactly where to go. I just feel like they were really good at communicating and making sure you knew where things were. They would email you again and ask for feedback on everything Mm -hmm. you went to. And then you'd see another copy of your schedule and you could review it. And you can tell they really do want to improve the experience if they can. You know, they want your feedback. Mm -hmm. The rooms were clearly marked. I felt like they had plenty of volunteers, which- 
you know, was, is, is always something you worry about, especially during like a COVID time with capacity mm-hmm. and stuff. And everybody seemed to be really friendly and excited to help. They did give you a goodie bag when you registered. So you Love got it. your CrimeCon lanyard. I will take a picture of it and I'll take a picture of the goodie bag. I'm trying to remember everything that came in it. I know there was a candle mm-hmm. and a booklet that gave you information about some of the different people. And they had that the- scratch off thing that you could win the true crime, you know, when like a forensic files, you know, thing, or they had just oh, different things. Right. Yeah, yeah. You could win. And then they, you could get like three month to Brit box and yeah, stuff like know, that. So they, yeah. There was a nice little goodie bag and they did have crime con 2021 merch available. Although most of it, it all just said crime con. Mm-hmm. So none of it specifically said 2021, which we kind of wished it would, but we understand why they didn't. So we did get matching shirts because we're those people Yep, that said basically a detective. And I admit uh, the main reason I got it is because I do hunt a killer. So I do feel like I'm basically a detective. We, so we wore those together on the last day. They had sweatshirts. They had tank tops. So they had some that had the CrimeCon logo. They had one that says, I'm just here for an alibi. Mm-hmm. They had umbrellas. They had everything. It was crazy. Cabinets. They had, yeah, it was. Bugs. Yeah. yeah, it just was. It was pretty interesting, all the different stuff they had. And then, of course, they had books by everybody who was there mm-hmm. and that's where we where we bought Glenn Stout's book. So I was impressed that the thing is though, which you might know if you've gone to conventions and things like this, if you don't know like we didn't, we happened upon it like the first day or the second morning or something. And it's a good thing we went when we did because they started to sell out of stuff. Yep. So anytime you go to a convention like that, I would say find the merch as soon as you can. Right. And get anything you want. And if you're not sure you want to get it, get it anyway, because it might not be there anymore. Like I bought two pair of the Crime Con nunchucks. <laughs> can you imagine if they had Crime Con nunchucks? Oh, ridiculous. Now we had kind of mentioned the podcast row. And podcast row is, as you can imagine, it lined the hallway and there were different booths for the different podcasts. There were two floors that had rows of people, but I think the second one was just like more, wasn't podcast. It was just um, like um, the organizations like Like vendors, like almost like different vendors and stuff. Yeah. So a mix of that. Exactly. So they had one, one floor that had like general vendors. Like there was one that had, you can get wine bottles with missing people on it. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty interesting. The stuff that you ran into, I think Magellan TV had a booth, right? But in Podcast Row, it was obviously podcasters. Now, I will let Igor talk about Podcast Row hours. Well, they they didn't have a lot. Um, they varied. They were maybe a couple hours a day. You kind of we just kind of went through in between and tried to see who was there. Uh, we happened to be heading in to the main ballroom, and I always need some more ballroom when we saw true crime garage, and we so we weren't able to get selfies or anything, but they, I mean, they had a mix and you've really just had to go through and see who was there. I don't know that there was a, like a master schedule that said, Hey, so-and-so is going to be here that. And like I said, we never saw Nancy Grace. There were most people were there like cults, crimes and Cabernet. They were always there. Fruit Loops was pretty much always there. Generation Y, I didn't see them. Mm, I didn't see, see the True Crime All the Time podcast or True Crime Unsolved. I didn't see them. So it was kind of, I mean, we're going to talk about what we'd like to see next year, but I'd, I'd like to see that change. It would have been nice to talk to true, the True Crime guy, the True Crime Garage guys. Mm-hmm. I imagine what part of the problem is, is that like True Crime Garage is two dudes. 
And so maybe they didn't have anyone who could sit at the booth. It might be weird for someone else to be sitting at the booth, but I know other booths, they would have other people maybe sit there and just be a representative. Just right. to, So, and I think cult crimes and Cabernet, they had, I feel like I saw like two or three different people. I don't know how many people are involved with the podcast. Just two. But okay, yeah, so, I know what you're saying. They kind of had like keepers, so to speak. But again, like I can understand if you're the representative of your podcast, you want to be the one at the table. I don't know. It's, I, I don't know how that works. And, and again, it's our first year there. So maybe we missed something, but I will say, I also enjoyed how easy it was to access people to talk to them. Even if you weren't at a meet and greet is if you bumped into them and you could, they would talk, you know, or, Completely, yeah, you know, and the people that you do approach at the podcast tables, they're very friendly. It was interesting to see what booths were getting attention paid to them and what booths weren't. And, you know, but it also depends on time. So sometimes you'd see a booth that was empty and the next time you see it, it had a, it had a line, you know, so it just depends. And some booths didn't really have any merch or much going on. And then other booths had a ton of merch. It's kind of good to pay attention to what, what looked like it was working and what might not, and what, what maybe would work for you, what wouldn't work for you. So we were taking notes and I don't know, overall, I think they handled it really well, but like Igor said, we'll get more into that here in a moment. I did like how they had time in the evening where you could go out. Yes. So I like that they didn't make it like all the way till nine o'clock at night or something. Well, that that's they... a long day for the speakers too and the volunteer. Right. You know what I mean? That's yeah. just a long time. Yeah, because some of the sessions started at like eight in the morning. Yep. Kind of avoided that if we could. I think just so. on Saturday. I <laughs> oh, okay, think. you're right. Yeah, like 830 or yeah. something. But yeah, I did like how they did that. Because the only problem with going to a, a convention like that is you're pretty much tied to the hotel, which is fine, because you're learning a bunch of stuff and making connections. But if you want to be touristy, you don't really have time, which is, you know, again, it's, that's not the point to go to that. But I'm glad that they at least gave you some kind of time yeah. to go out and experience the city at night. We were able to go up on Thursday so we could have a little bit of time in the evening to, mm -hmm. to do stuff. Another thing that I didn't think about when we were going into it is the speaking and presentation styles, the differences in the way that people presented things. That was an eye-opening for me as I'm, I'm a musician, so I do gigs, so I'm in front of people. And then also, you know, this podcasting. And now they, they, are, they are different, but the basic elements are the same. It was really interesting to see how one person would talk really fucking fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another person would talk really softly. Another person would had a nice balance. And then how some people, you know, they, they had notes they used in this way or they had notes, you know, so it was really just even just an interesting study in seeing how people present things. Yep. Another thing that was kind of funny is, is to see who was used to wireless mics and who wasn't. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, There's one fair. I went to where every five seconds, one of the poor speakers, and if, of course, if it's someone that is an emotional person that, you know, they're going through something that's really difficult and it's hard to talk about and they, they don't usually go out speaking and then they actually keep hitting their mic. Yeah, one you of know, the family members kept yeah, hitting the, the mic and it was like, you, you know, you you notice it but you let it go but still, exactly yeah, yeah I, I understand right so that's something that you have to keep in mind is if you're not used to it it is a weird thing and mm -hmm. and so and it's not something to get caught up on and then there are things like if you've never done sound then when she's speaking softly your first instinct is well why does the sound person turn up the mic so I actually have some experience with sound and sometimes what happens is if you turn up the mic and the person still isn't close enough to it then you get feedback Really, the ultimate answer is that person needs to get closer to their mic and speak up. It drove her nuts. It's, <laughs> so I felt bad for the sound people because, you know, there's only so much they can do. 
but overall, I think everybody handled everything really well. Yeah. I think the the things like that are minor. It wasn't like it ruined my experience. It would have been nice to hear a little better, but I could still get the feeling of everything. And I think they did a really good job at keeping everything moving forward and keeping it very professional. The other thing is kind of what we were talking about earlier is how supportive and respectful everyone everyone was. Really, that's the best way to say people were very open, very understanding, even though we're all kind of there for our interest in true crime, but we all want a sense of justice. We all want to see resolution. Everybody kept that in mind. And just like Vicky, uh, like V read at the beginning about how they want to keep in mind the family and the real reason we're there to get closure and everything. It was I mean, they did a really good job. Yeah. And, and like I said, it was it, so you had the feeling of respect and you also had the feeling of everybody's just excited to be together. Yeah. And it wasn't just a COVID thing. Right. It was it was just overall. Hey, and we'd see each other in the elevator because, you know, because we're wearing our true crime shirts or our badge, you know, lanyards. Yeah. And we'd be like, hey, are you here for it? And then, you know, so you already had that sense of community and and people were open. So it really felt like a really good, positive experience. And I, I didn't really have anybody that I felt like was crappy to me or anything. And it just felt like it was a very positive experience. The only thing that I'm concerned about is they had to do everything smaller and with less people, mm -hmm. which I liked because I figured that would help make it a more intimate experience. Yeah, I thought of that. And too. I think that's why we got to talk to I got to talk to Glenn yeah. Stout like three times is because there were less people and less obstacles. And you know, you had more space to move and we could get to the tables. My fear is like next year, if it's at full capacity, what if there's so many people I don't get to talk to the people that I want to talk to? I'm kind of wondering about that, but we ran into several people that have gone to it all three years so far and they keep coming back. So there must be something that they're doing. And maybe it's a matter of if there's more people then I need to make a point to go to a meet and greet. Maybe I need to refocus a little bit or figure something out. But I yeah. think that we actually had a, a really lucky experience where I feel bad that not everybody got to come, but it was kind of nice to have it that small and, and intimate. Yeah. The one one time that we did have that kind of uh, not so supportive moment is we're crammed in the elevator and <laughs> the elevator stops, the doors open and a couple walks out of the elevator. And as she's walking out, uh, this woman says something about the creepily. She uses the word creepily. How it, yes, I forget what the context it was, like was, but the elevator. She used the word creepily. Yes. So then another woman on the elevator when the doors closed, she's like, <laughs> creepily isn't even a word. And it was just like, you know what? I think they got off then the next stop. And I turned around to everyone and was like, you know what? There's it totally is a word. And you know, that like, like, seriously, fuck? we're all in here together. Yeah. And you know, if you're going to correct people. someone, at least be right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the fact that she just said it kind of cat, like cast off, like over her shoulder. Yeah. She's kind of shitty. Yeah, but, so that, um, was, that was the only thing, but well, it was, but we all, everyone else, you could just feel it. And I looked around and I was like, what the hell? Yeah. And that, but, but then again, we had another moment where we got to bond with the other people exactly over it. So, yeah. you know, so every once in a while, like I, when we were in separate sessions, I was like, oh, I'm on my way down to you. To, to your floor and I responded I'm sitting here creepily and so of course my <laughs> response was well that's not even a word yeah so we had some we fun kind with of that. a joke about yeah. that so and just some other general insights from the trip and not just necessarily crime con I've only had one uber experience prior to this and um Igor had never used uber nope so we certainly uh broke uber in 
over yep. this trip. I think we used it probably at least six times. Yeah. If not more. And I will say it was um, it was fun. They uh, most of them like to talk, which surprised me a little bit. There's one, yeah. the very last one. He wouldn't have nothing to do with us. No, he like really... I almost felt uncomfortable being in his car. Like he yeah. really did not want us there. I think. Yeah, he. It, that was the only one though. And we were being quiet and nice. We weren't being loud and boisterous because we were on our way to the airport. You know what yeah. I mean? We had to go. We were tired. But yeah, it. But yeah, dude wasn't. Yeah, having it. But whatever. It was funny because there's one time we wanted to actually have a discussion, but as soon as we sat in the car, the dude was like, bah, 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 and he's like, talk to me, talk to me. So we're like, yeah. okay, we'll just talk. We had a lot of that. That was fine. Yeah. And and most of them, you know, they're just trying like, hey, where are you from? Or, you know, what are you doing here? We had one guy where when we said we're here for crime con, he's like, oh my God, I forgot that was this weekend. Tell me everything. Yeah. He was like, can I still get in? And he fanboyed out. Oh my and God. And like when he gave us our car, we gave him the cards and the magnet and the, he was great. Yeah. It was funny. Cause at one point Igor is like, well, we can give you a good tip. And I mentioned we have a magnet. He's like, um, no tip needed. Give me that magnet. And like, I still tipped him. So, so that was fun. As then, then he was like, tell me documentaries to watch. So it was funny that he was so excited. He's like, I'll definitely check out your podcast. And we had another guy who was really excited about us having a podcast. And it wasn't there that wasn't it that guy that was at say, tell me what to watch. I mean, yeah, they both did, but they, that's what I thought was so interesting because they went right to the documentaries. Right. <laughs> really nice that some of these Uber drivers were really excited about what we were doing. So our Uber experience was fine overall. We got to ride in a Tesla. So that was unexpected. Yes, it was. It was like, that cannot be, that cannot be an Uber. It is. <laughs> and because of that, when I saw this huge, like GMC Yukon or something, I went up to him and was like, um, are you here for, <laughs> for Uber? And he's like, no. And then these like fancy smancy people got yeah. in. And I felt like an asshole, but yeah. it was funny. It's fun. Another thing that was interesting is, I mentioned earlier that someone, one of my Facebook friends here in Dayton had been in Texas and mentioned the Texas chili parlor. And that's what put it on my radar. So when we're walking down the street on like the first day there, yes, we're just talking. So I look weird. over and she was there. I was like, Ada. And she's like, yeah. And now we don't know each other. We've only run into each other a few times. So we're not like, you know, close friends. But I was like, oh my God. And of course I started ranting. Like I saw the Texas chili parlor. And so I'm going to go and I'm so excited. And she's like, um, that's amazing. You're really familiar, but I don't remember your name. <laughs> and I was like, Queen Victoria. And then we said at the same time of Todd the Fox. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I look at Kathy and Kathy's like, yeah, of course, you know, someone. I was of like, of all you the know people, someone. of course you would run into someone when they're first <laughs> jaunt around Austin. So then, you know, Ada went on her way and had her adventures and it was just, yeah, it's just those weird moments when things like that happen. Now we will sum up and I figure we can talk about things like, um, like what was your favorite session? I was, I was thinking about that before we started recording and that's just so difficult because mm -hmm. I liked them all for a different reason. Yeah. Uh, the most I'll say quote unquote fun. And I think I mentioned it earlier was the, the, um, analysis dude, mm -hmm. because it just, Look, you know, we looked at things differently and it was kind of a general thing and didn't, he applied it some to the true crime, but I don't know. So I thought that was good. And it was just, 
was so much heaviness. Like I mm. said, it was just, but so I did like that. But also Glenn's was good too. I really can't say what my favorite is overall. Yeah, yeah I agree. I'm in the same same boat as, as I was asking the, writing the question down. I was like, I don't know, should I even ask that? But you know, um, yeah, I'd say that I like really liked Glenn's and uh, we're on a first name basis now. Uh, like I said, oh, yeah. the BFF. I enjoyed that. But yeah, there's there's something that was positive about everything that we went to. And I learned something from everything. So yeah, I would say just the whole thing was really well done. If I had to say the best thing about it was exactly that. It was that it had, it was diverse. Yeah. And so I felt like I learned a lot about a bunch of things and some Agreed. things that I didn't expect to learn. I think that was one of my favorite things was just, and the supportiveness so it was just a very positive experience, even though it, true crime stuff can always go sideways. Mm. So I think they were good at keeping it balanced. What, is there anything else you want to add that you thought was, was really good about it? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, it was just, like you said, going from our first year, it was kind of like you didn't really know what to expect, but you kind of had because they did email so much. So mm. I'm with you. I've liked your crime for a while, but I kind of dipped my toes in it. And I have to be careful with my compulsiveness that it's hard for me to get into new things because I, then I want to be compulsive with that thing. So I have trouble just listening to a new podcast because I want to binge it or I just have issues with that. So it's hard for me to dip my toes in things without getting that compulsive. So there's a lot of things that I hadn't experienced, but now that it's on my radar, that helped me kind of figure out, okay, well, this looks like it's something I'm into. Maybe this isn't something I'm into. Mm -hmm. And so basically what I'm saying is when we went into it and looked at the schedule, I didn't know a lot of the stuff. So it was kind of just like, well, this looks like the most interesting thing out of this section. So let's go to that. And then we'd read the description and say, oh, you know, I thought about going to this one, but this one sounds like maybe it would be a little more interesting for me. Whereas if you are really like balls deep into true crime, then I could see how it would be easier to be like, oh, I'm definitely going to this. I'm definitely going to this, you know, and maybe it's harder because you're like, oh, there's three things that I want to do at the same time because I love all of them. I think that it being our first time was helpful and then maybe also kind of like, eh. so as we get deeper into it, it might be a different experience for us like next year when we know more and, of the people and, more of the yeah things. and I knew a lot of the I knew a lot of the cases and stuff but not all of them obviously which is another good thing is that mm -hmm. someone who does listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and things of that nature and really been into it they still they represented uh they presented things like the toolbox killers that you may be more familiar with that I'm not because I do more of the other stuff so and that's that's one of the the points of it is because I didn't know about neither one of us knew about Libby Caswell mm -mm. so that's the point is to put cases like that out there that yeah. maybe are, are they're getting older and so people are forgetting them yeah just like oh my goodness it broke my heart at the uh, Abby and Libby Delphi one is one of the I think the sister said someone came up to them and said oh I thought that case was solved yes they're oh, at crime con I cringe she's uh and you know the person meant well or whatever they didn't mean to hurt you know but she's like that's why we're here it's because people don't know mm -hmm. they're not educated they don't and you can't know everything about everything like I right. said but it's nice to have that brought to the forefront and then maybe we can pass the word on so that is something else that I'm doing in the shout outs I'll have goofy shout outs of places we ate and then I'll have serious shout outs like with Libby Caswell I posted hers today where mm -hmm. you can help that way. And then I'll post about Libby and Abby and maybe if there's anything we can do. 
and even just spreading the word, even if you feel like, well, there's nothing really I can do to help solve it. If you're passing the word on, Mm -hmm. then maybe it gets back to somebody who knows something like you never know. And at least we're keeping it in people's radar. Right. So and something like Gina DeJesus, I mean, it's solved. He took his own life, but let's keep like, you know, like she's doing, let's keep the hope. Let's, let's give some assistance to other families that are in that position. So, you know, throw 20 bucks or whatever at to them or that organization to assist. Yeah. And again, even if you, if you don't have the money to do it, you can pass the information on. Maybe someone else can give money to it that wasn't aware of it before. And they just, it's good to keep things on people's radar. Mm -hmm. They were already advertising next year. It is in Las Vegas. So we are, uh, we are on board. Between two hotels, between like Bally's and uh, the Paris Hotel, I believe. Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm sure that's going to be, I mean, Vegas, baby. It's going to be big. I'm going to go ahead and put my deposit down. Mm -hmm. Yep. I already did twice. I don't know. That would mean (laughs) you paid for it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, we're going to, we're planning on going next year and we're excited about that. Make sure that you stay tuned and watch for more episodes. We have Murder Lab Monday every Monday, and it will either be The Queen or Igor on the Crime Keeper podcast. Yep. So we're excited that uh, Crime Keeper and Igor is kind of morphing into its own thing. So eventually it's, it's going to, it's, so basically it's under the Murder Lab umbrella. So Murder Lab is its thing and Igor will still, of course, be part of that. But Igor will also have the Crime Keeper podcast where I'm grown up. Yeah, where she jumps into things. She's making her own Facebook page and and things like that. So that's exciting. Stay tuned to that. And she'll have all kinds of true crimey things. I'm working on the Strangler series. I was going to come out with the Reginald Christie episode, but I basically slept the entire day that I came back on the day that I was going to edit it and put it out. So we have the Christie one coming up. We've got Stranglers. I have local serial killers. Igor has another of the local true crime. Mm -hmm. So there's still lots of good stuff coming up. We're going to have an event soon. I'm going to announce that I'll be hanging out and you can just come and talk to me and get merch or whatever. So we'll have some things coming up. Make sure you stay tuned. And thank you for entering the lab. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not, as long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats. Wash your butt. Wash your butt.